We are so glad that you joined us today. We know that God wants to do something great in you and through you, and we want to hear about it. So if you can take a moment and share with us your story in the City Chapel app in the Amen Corner. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you enjoy today's message. Really kicked it off last week called the Four Cups. And uh, when we say Four Cups, we're talking about the Four uh, Cups of the Jewish Passover Seder. So every year, the, uh, the Jews, the Israelites, they celebrate a little thing called Passover. And that is the time when they remember how God, how the death angel, God made the death angel pass over their homes and spared their lives and delivered them from Egypt. Uh, the Jewish people, uh, about 3,400 years ago, were enslaved in Egypt, and God finally came and brought them out. They were enslaved for about 430 years. And then in Exodus chapter 6, this has been our main passage, God spoke to Moses. If we can pull that up, Exodus 6, God speaks to Moses and says, Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving. I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and that's the word, that's the phrase we talked about last week. I will bring you out. Whatever you are stuck in today, God has a promise of freedom for you. God wants to bring you out. God does not want you to be enslaved to old habits and old addictions and to sin, but God wants to bring you out. God wants to bring you out of that place that you have got yourself stuck in. No matter how long you've been stuck, no matter how long your family has been stuck, no matter how deep the generational curse goes, God, the power of God, through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ can bring you and me out. And so I'm excited about that. We talked about it last week. If you want to hear more, uh, listen to the podcast. Uh, he says, I'll bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will free you from being slaves to them. That's what I want to talk to you about today. That, that, that second cup or the second promise actually sounds very similar to the first. He says, first and foremost, I'm going to bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, under the weight of the bondage of the Egyptians, I'm going to remove you. I'm going to move you, right? And so this is, this is a geographical change that God wants to do. I believe God wants to do that for each and every one of us, but I, I also believe that God doesn't just want to change your address. He wants to do a deeper work inside of each and every one of us. Many have responded. In fact, last week, about 10 people raised their hands and made a decision of faith to put their faith in Jesus Christ and to step out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And, I, and that's, I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. I don't know about you all, but um, I grew up in a church where, where we had, like, I don't think we had 10 people make that decision in the 25 years that we were a little church. And I'm not bashing that church. I'm just saying God's doing something awesome when on one Sunday, 10 people decide to step out of Egypt. And I'm excited. Yeah. Yes. Amen, Pastor Harry. That's awesome. That's a life change. How many people are getting saved around here? Wow. That's amazing, Pastor Harry. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. I, I appreciate your enthusiasm for how good I'm preaching right now because that's exciting. That just encourages me to go even shorter. So keep it up and you will be out in about 15 minutes. <laughs> 20 minutes, 20 minutes, sorry, 20 minutes, actually, actually, uh, but, but, but it's exciting, and it's good, and it's wonderful, but honestly, most people never move beyond that point. They make a decision for Jesus, they step out from Egypt, but they never receive this promise, I will free you from being slaves. It's one thing to get out of Egypt, and it's another thing to get Egypt out of you. 
God doesn't just want to change your address. He wants to change your attitude. He doesn't just want to change your location. He wants to change your lifestyle. He doesn't just want to save you so that now you have a future home in heaven, but he wants to do something in your life that impacts your family right here and right now, impacts your city, impacts your work zone, impacts your life. God wants to do something in you that changes who you are. I will free you from being slaves. There's a difference. There's a difference. Sometimes, some, so sometimes you can get the shackles off of you, but you can still be a slave on the inside. You can still think like a slave up here. You can still feel like a slave down here. You can still make decisions like a slave. And that's what God's promising them. He said, not only am I going to bring you out, but then I will free you from who you are. Not just the sin of what you've done, not just the stuff of where you failed, but the, the failure of who you are, what is inside of you. I will free you from being slaves to them. So how does, how does God do that in our lives? Well, I think one of the best ways is to look at how God did that for the Israelites. By the way, the first promise, the first cup, to drink from the first cup is an instantaneous act of faith. You put your faith in Jesus and he brings you out instantly. But this cup, this promise is a bit more of a process, which I think is why many Americans don't drink of this cup, because we don't really like processes. We like moments. We like instantaneous. We like now. We like fast food. We like microwaves. But we're not a big fan of ovens. We're not a big fan of processes. We're not a big fan of something that takes a little bit longer. We love grocery stores, but we don't necessarily like gardens. You know what I'm saying? Because we're, we're, we're a big fan of the instantaneous, the package, the prepared for us. Just, 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 Pastor Harry, you got 20 minutes now to just share with me how I can drink of this cup. And then, bam, I'm, I'm, I'm going to come down to the front and, you know, roll around a little bit. And then it's going to be awesome. I'm going to get up. I will have drank from this cup and I'm on to bigger and better things. Well, it's sort of a little bit different than that. It's a bit more of a process. But I want to help you along this process. I want to share with you and really give you a bit of a picture for the process. The Bible gives us a picture for the process, and that picture is found in Exodus chapter 14. So God delivers his people. They are marching out of Egypt. When we look at Exodus 14, uh, starting at verse 5, uh, it says that when the king of Egypt, or, or, or Pharaoh, was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them. And said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. <laughs> Man. So he had his chariot made ready. He took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with him. Uh, and all the other chariots of Egypt. So all means all. Everybody, pack up. We're going to get the whole army here. With officers over all of them, because the Lord had hardened the heart of the king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. I love that phrase. I love how the Bible tells us how they were marching out. Not just that they were marching out, but that they were marching out with their chest out. Because <laughs> that's, that's how you march out of Egypt. You march out like this. 
Like, 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 like you know, I mean, you, 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 you're, you're, you're flying high. You're feeling great. Your chest is out. You're like, yeah, what, what? Yeah, I'm out of Egypt. What? How do you like that? How do you like that, devil? You know, take the mask off. I mean, like, they, you get excited when you're walking on out of Egypt. You, 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 get, you get pumped about it. You get bold about it. I mean, when God delivers you on Easter Sunday for, 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 for 10 of you last week, I mean, you step into your Monday, like, ready to take on the world. And that's awesome. Congratulations. I love your enthusiasm. But in verse 9, the Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Piherath, opposite As Pharaoh approached the Israelites, looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. And they were terrified. It's funny how you go from bold to terrified in two verses, or two days, or two weeks. It's funny how, 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 how quickly Holy Week turns to unholy week. <laughs> Did you guys have a good unholy week this past week? Back to normal. It's funny how quickly, how quickly you're marching out with boldness and strength. You sit down for lunch. You turn around on the horizon of your life. There is your old enemy. And suddenly their hearts are terrified. Suddenly they're gripped with fear. And this is what they do. They cry out to the Lord and they start talking to Moses. They, the Bible doesn't tell us what they told the Lord. I wish it would have. Because I'm always hearing what they're telling Moses. Because they're always people talking to me. And I always get that. But I just wonder what they cry out to the Lord. It doesn't say only what they told to Moses. They said, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us into the desert to die? What? That's a hypothetical question, by the way. What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? In verse 12, he says, didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? This was your idea, buddy. <laughs> Like, we wanted to stay back. I, you know, they're already, like, this is the bus, and this is Moses. He's, he's going under it. They're like, you know, Moses, this was your idea. I'm pretty sure we all wanted to stay back. What have you done to us? Why would, why would they say that? Because of fear. Because of fear. They saw their old enemy coming across the horizon. And they assumed defeat. They had been defeated so many times in the past that they simply assumed that this time would be just like every other time. So I don't know if I'm preaching to anybody who's ever experienced that. <laughs> anybody ever make a decision on Easter and then, uh, okay, no, all right, cool. Uh, anybody struggle with lying? Anybody struggle with lying? We're going to have an altar call for lying. Okay, yeah, you. We're going to pray for you and uh, set you free today. Uh, but, but sometimes, sometimes, sometimes like you, you, you start off bold. You start off with wonderful intentions. You start off, God leads you out of Egypt. And it's beautiful and it's amazing. But the enemy is not content to let you stay from Egypt. The enemy will always pursue you. Your past will always catch up to your present. Your past struggles, your past habits, your past hurts will always find a way to reach you where you are. And it's, it's crazy. God lets it happen. And God's watching the whole thing. God could have easily you know, sneezed and like all of the Egyptians just would have been wiped off the face of the earth. But no, God just, God, God just watches the whole thing up from heaven, checking it out. Doesn't seem that concerned. It's just, he just lets it happen. 
A couple of years ago, I was talking to a guy uh, in street ministry. Uh, we, we, we would go out into the streets here in Austin and uh, meet with folks and feed them and clothe them. We still support that ministry financially uh, as far as feeding and, 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 and having backpacks and sleeping bags for the homeless people in Austin. Um, I used to go more, more, more frequently personally and just hang out with the homeless people and get to know them, pray with them. Uh, one guy I was, I was ministering to for multiple weeks, uh, he was excited he had been um, drug-free for, I don't know, multiple weeks. And uh, he, was, he was doing really well, um, and he had just got a job. And this is a couple of years ago. He just got a job, and, and, he said, and he said that he was excited about the job. He's going to start actually having some money, which is good. But he was also afraid. He said, I'm also afraid about the fact that when I get money, then I'm going to be able to go buy drugs again. And in the past, whenever I've had money, I've spent it on drugs, and then I got so much drugs that I couldn't keep my job, and then I lost my money, and then I lost my family, and that's how I ended up here. And that's not true for all homeless people. That was true for this guy. He said, that's my, that's my pharaoh. That's my issue. That's what keeps coming back. I start doing better. I start doing good, and it keeps coming back. And so I said, well, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be that way. And he said, well, yeah, but, but the problem is, like, like, whenever I start having these bad feelings or these, or these anxiety uh, feelings or feelings of regret or remorse or all this stuff comes into my head, I don't know what to do with it other than to escape by using these drugs. And so he asked me a question. I'll never forget. He said, he said what do normal people do? <laughs> it's so funny. All of us assume we're not normal. He said, what do normal people do? I said, man... Normal people do exactly what you're doing. You are normal. You are entirely normal. Now, other people are a little more higher functioning than you, right? That a lot, most of us are able to keep our job. Most of us are able to keep some, some semblance of a family or some kind of relationship. But, but everybody is trying to escape. Everybody is trying to, nobody likes those feelings. Nobody likes those thoughts. Nobody likes those, 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 those emotional attacks. Nobody likes, well, everybody is trying to escape. Some use or abuse drugs. Some abuse alcohol. Some abuse people. Some abuse themselves. Some abuse food. Some abuse church. But we're all trying to get out of it. We're all trying to escape. We're all stuck right in the middle of this, of, this, of this crazy paradox. We got the enemy of our past chasing us down, and we have an issue in front of us that blocks us. If it wasn't for the Red Sea, if it wasn't for that great body of water, I mean, the people of Israel, they're not on chariots, so they're able to move through the desert kind of quickly on feet. So they, you know, if it wasn't for that huge obstacle, I mean, they could have kept running from the Egyptians, but God intentionally led them in front of this barricade, in front of this barrier, because he didn't want them to be running all their lives. And that's why God allows these negative things and these negative thoughts and these negative emotions to hit us. That's why when, everything, when we feel like everything's going great, suddenly we have a stressful moment or we have a breakdown or we have a blow up or we have an argument or we have something that just, that just shuts us down. There's this thing in front of us and now all of a sudden our old attitude starts creeping back. Now all of a sudden our old, our old way of reacting, our old way of thinking, our old enemy just comes right back on the horizon and we say, man, if it wasn't for that dumb sea... 
could have I could have kept going. I was going boldly out of Egypt. It was going great when there was nothing in front of me. But then that stupid sea shows up and it, and it slows me down enough. It, it derails me enough to where my enemy gets the jump on me. And it's almost like this is this is not even fair. It was a setup. And it was a setup. God had set them up. God led them. God led them. God told Moses, I'm going to lead you in a really weird way. You'll find out later. <laughs> and so God led, they're camping out in front of the, the, the Red Sea. They could have went around it. They were closer actually to going around geographically, geographically to going around the sea when they exited Egypt than they were at this point. God said, how about you go a little bit down that way and just kind of camp out right there by the sea? God, God led them to this immovable obstacle, to this great tragedy that was in front of them. And I don't know what the tragedy is for your life. I don't know what the trigger is in your life. I don't know what keeps slowing you down and allowing your enemy to catch up. But can I just encourage you for a second that it may be part of the plan. That God might not want you running all your life. That God might not want you always checking the rearview mirror to see if that old habit has come up again, to see if that old attitude has come up again, to see. Because, because then you're dependent on moving and moving and moving and moving. Then you're dependent on your feet and not your faith. So God sets them up. God puts them in front of this, this immovable object. God puts them smack dab right there. And then he allows the enemy to come at him. And this is what happens. He, he, they, they are there. And this is, what, uh, this is what Moses says to them in Exodus 14, verse 15. I don't even know if... Do I have that? Do I, do I have the verse right? So Moses, Moses, Moses tells them to... Uh, I think it's in verse, in verse 14. He tells them uh, to be still, that the Lord will fight for you. Which, which if I had more time, I would, I, would, I would really preach on that, the Lord fighting for you. Because I, I, I do think that that is a big part of our, of our receiving of the second cup, is first of all to keep your feet still. Because they, they're, they're obviously freaking out. And Moses says to be still, which means to stand still. It really literally means to stand at attention. Not, not to recline back, but to stand ready for God to give you some orders, for God to speak to you. He says, he says but I want you to stand still. God's going to fight for you. And that's one thing that I learned. That's one thing I talked to, talk, talk to, talk to my homeless friend about. I said, man, you know, you're, you're perfectly normal. But here's the problem. You have been trying to conquer you. <laughs> and you can't conquer you. Because as soon as you conquer you you still are going to need to conquer you again. <laughs> it's cyclical thinking. It's, it, whenever you, 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 whenever you conquer you, you still need to be conquered. So, so, so you really can't conquer you. You can go around this circle. You can keep trying to address the Pharaoh of your life, but you're too small for that. You can't handle that. And so God doesn't tell the people, all right, now grab some pitchforks and go fight the enemy. Get some self-will and go get them. Get, get a better plan. Get some counseling and go knock them out of the park. That's not what God says. God doesn't say you deal with the enemy. God doesn't say you come back and fight the enemy. Why? Because that's how we end up losing. Whenever we fight the devil on the devil's level, we always lose. 
You can't fight the devil on the devil's level. You're not smart enough, bright enough, sharp enough, strong enough to fight the devil on the... Even Jesus didn't fight the devil on the devil's level. When, when the devil came and tempted Jesus, he threw, the devil threw out some scriptures. Jesus didn't even get into the theological twist that the devil made on those scriptures. He didn't even engage him in the discussion. He just said, yeah, well, how about this scripture over here? Because, because even Jesus was relying on the word of God. Even Jesus said, the word of God is going to fight this battle for me. God's going to fight this battle for me. And whenever we engage the devil on the devil's level, we start trying to reason in the way that he reasons, and we lose every time. So there are some fights that you're going to have to take the gloves off for. There are some fights you're going to have to step out of the ring and just say, I really don't think I can handle this. I do not have the, the physical or, or emotional or spiritual resources to deal with my enemy. I have to trust that God is able to deal with what's in my rearview mirror. You, there, there's some things that you have to stand still for. There's some battles that you have to keep quiet for. There are some areas that you cannot even engage the enemy. In fact, uh, I, th I think it's in Genesis 3, uh, the very first temptation. You have, you have God creating Adam and Eve, very first humans. And then, and then Eve uh, and Adam are in the garden. God tells Adam and Eve, you can eat of all of the trees, all the fruit, all the oranges and apples and grapes and stuff you want. But you cannot eat of the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah, there it is, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so this is, this is the context. And now the serpent or Satan slithers into the garden, which, by the way, God allowed the serpent into the garden. He had to, he had to, check, he had to check in with God at the gate. And, and God says, sure, go ahead. And so the snake comes in, and he was more crafty than any of the other animals that the Lord God had made. Now, that's important. The Lord God had made. Because all throughout Genesis 2, actually after God created man, in Genesis 1, the Bible refers to God as God. The word is Elohim. means all-powerful one, mighty one, great one. The big man upstairs. <laughs> Elohim. Genesis chapter 1, he's Elo God created the heavens and the earth. God did this. God did that. God did that. In Genesis 2 is the account of God creating man. And then the author changes the way he talks about God. He says, the Lord God said this, the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. Eleven times in chapter 2, it references God as the Lord God, which is Yahweh Elohim. The difference is Yahweh means a personal God, a relationship. The Lord God, my Lord, my boss, my God. So when God created stuff and the earth, he said, just go ahead and call me all-powerful. But when God created men and women, he said, now I want you to call me by a relationship. I want a relationship status with these. Not with, not with the fish, not with the, the goats, but, but with these, I'm gonna have a relationship. So I will be known by these people as the Lord God, which is why in Genesis chapter three, the very first verse it says, now the serpent is more crafty than any of the animals Lord, the Lord God had made, because it's following that same rhetoric. And so the serpent says to the woman, did God really say. Notice, before he even, he even questions the commandment, he switches the title. He doesn't say, did the Lord God really say? He says, did God really say? 
Why? Because the snake, Satan, was used to viewing God as this big man upstairs, this all-powerful creator, but he had absolutely no relationship with him. And so the very first thing the snake did, before you even get into his question, the fact that he calls the Lord God, God, he's trying to see if maybe she can see God from a new perspective, from a lesser perspective, not as someone who wants a relationship with her, but as somebody who is simply over her, her, her big authority that she needs to sort of hide some things from. And so he says, did God really say blah, 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 blah. And the woman says to the serpent, well, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say. Notice she changed her rhetoric. This is why you can't even start arguing with a snake because the very first words out of his mouth are untrue. I mean, they're kind of true, but they have enough arsenic in them. They have enough poison in them. They have enough venom in them. You have no chance. You have no hope. After that, when you see God, not as this personal God, but as this God up there, out there somewhere, now suddenly his commands are negotiable. Suddenly what he wants from you, oh, that's negotiable because it's not a personal relationship anymore. He's just a God who's out there. He's just the creator, you know. He watch over, watches over things. He makes things. He's sort of there, yeah. But, but the relationship is gone. Satan first attacks the verbiage of the relationship. And when she comes into agreement with him about the kind of relationship that she can have with him, she loses the argument. And we all lose the art. None of us are smart enough. When I was 16, I went through about nine months of, of really was self-pity that sort of led to self-hate, that sort of led to depression, that led to thoughts of suicide because, because well, because feeling sorry for yourself feels good because at least somebody feels sorry for you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, if, so there's re- none of us, none of us use drugs or or any of this stuff because it's bad. Oh, I want to destroy my life. That's not what we're thinking. We're trying to alleviate the pain. We're trying to escape. And so you start getting into this this thought process of everything's my fault, and if I if I just wasn't here, things would be better, and blah 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 blah. blah. And you never stop to realize how 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 prideful those thoughts are. Really, everything's your fault. Like, you must be super special. Like, you are powerful. Wow. Practically like God here. I mean, you just kind of stumble and everybody else gets a stomachache, you know? I mean, you, you don't say happy birthday to somebody and now they're all depressed. You know, and so, but, but this is, I can, I can mock it because I've lived it. So I don't know if any of you watched 13 Reasons, but, um, but, on, the week, but on the week leading up to Easter, somebody told me they weren't going to be at church on Easter. And I said, welcome to your tape. That's all I'm saying. So if you didn't see it, you don't know what I'm talking about. But, but no, I mean, in many ways, I, I really relate to that girl because it would be awesome to record all these tapes and tell everybody how they're blah, blah, blah. Because cause that's, what, cause that's, what I, that's what I was telling myself. That's the tapes that were going over in my head all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time on repeat. And finally, God spoke to me. He's like, you know, if you're going to kill yourself, just go ahead and do it. So either get busy dying or get busy living. Make a choice. <laughs> I said, well, I'm only 16. I mean, I figure <laughs> things could get better, maybe. <laughs> I've always been a bit of an old soul. I, I said, yeah. I said, well, I guess if I just suffer through this time in my life, maybe something good will happen. And he said, no, I don't want you. I, no, you, that's still dying. You're just breathing. So I want you to get busy living. 
And for about six months, I couldn't argue with the enemy. I had to have thoughts about how worthless I was, how everything was my fault, blah, blah, blah. And I couldn't reason out of that. So I had to disengage from that. I had to say, you know, maybe, maybe everything is my fault. Maybe, maybe I am worthless. Maybe, yeah, maybe everybody would be better off without me. I don't know. Because I, 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 once I start trying to engage that, 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 that lie of the enemy, I, I start off with the wrong word and suddenly I'm spiraling downward. I never, I never got out of that pit by fighting my way out of it. I got out of it by standing my way out of it. And I said, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand with God. I'm gonna stand with God, whatever, whatever it is, I'm gonna stand with God. Whatever he says about me, I guess I'll just believe it. I don't think it's true, but I guess I'll just, you know, whatever, I'll just, I'll just stand with God. I can't, I can't fight this. I have to turn my back, I have to turn my back to that and not deny its existence but rely on something bigger and, and rely that God brought me to this river for a reason. That God brought me to this thing for a reason that maybe God doesn't want me to run anymore. Maybe God wants me to find a new way through an old issue. <laughs> maybe God wants me to find a new way through an old issue. And that's what he did. He provided a new way for me. And it's interesting, it's interesting how the very way that he provides for us to go through an issue is also the way that he destroys the enemy that's been chasing us. And this is why I think God leads us to these issues. This is why God allows these, these impassable things in our lives to show up. So that, yes, he can provide a new way through an old issue. But secondly, because he knows your enemy can't swim. So he'll take you in over your head. He'll take you through something that you thought was impassable. He'll take you through something that you, some, even, even a tragedy is not even your fault. And you thought there's no way you could live through that. And he'll take you through that because he's, 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 he's aware that your enemy is not able to stick with it. And the Bible says that when, that when the... Pharaoh and his army, when they, when they chased after the Israelites, you know, I mean, you all know the story, right? The, the sea parts and it opens up on dry land and all the people walk through and then Pharaoh and his boys are like, all right, come on, we're going to go for it. And then they go for it. And then their, their wheels start getting stuck in the bottom of the thing and their chariots. And so, and so they get, they get out of their chariots and they start turning around. Why? Because they couldn't hang. <laughs> they couldn't hang with it. And your enemy cannot hang with what God is taking you through the way is so narrow all your baggage is going to have to fall off the way is so narrow all of your enemies are going to get stuck in the mud because they weigh so much because they're so heavy all your burdens are going to get stuck in the mud because because that's that's why he's taking you through this because all of the lies that you've believed cannot survive this that thing, as long, as long as your old enemy lives and breathes, you are not free. As long as he has breath in his lungs, he will chase you down to the ends of the earth. You can go from church to church, relationship to relationship, divorce from divorce, children to children. You can move from city to city, country to country, change jobs all you want. Your enemy is not going to let you go until he breathes his last. But the very God that is able to drown your enemy is able to lead you. 
The very God that is able to get your enemy stuck in the miry clay is able to pull you through it. The very God that is able to defeat and eliminate that thing that has held you captive for so long in the same stroke, in the same situation, with your same obedience and walking by faith is able to free you from them forever so that you turn around. And the next time you turn around, they are floating corpses in the sea of the issues that used to stop you. They're just, it's a memory. It's a, it's a memory of what God had done. It's a, it's, a, it's a milestone. Were there no graves in Egypt? No, there's a grave right here. And every single one of your enemies are going to be buried in it. <laughs> and you can take your kids back to it. And you can take your family back to it. And you can say, that was the process. That was the, that was the journey that I made right through there. Well, I don't even see a way that how in the world you made it through there. No, there wasn't a way. God made a way. There wasn't, I didn't have some plan. I didn't turn around and fight the enemy. And then we build a bunch of rafts and go across. No, God dealt with my enemy. All I had to do was keep my eyes focused on him. All I had to do was keep following him. And that's what, and that's, and then that's what, that's what God tells Moses. I, I think it's Exodus six, uh, 14 verse 15. God says to Moses, cause Moses starts praying about what he should do. He says, why are you crying out to me? <laughs> it's not often God says, why don't you stop praying? But he says it there. He says, why are you crying out, out to me? Tell the Israelites to. <laughs> Tell city chapel to. Tell Harry Fleming, tell Rowena, tell JT, tell Pete, tell, tell Jonathan to move on. I was trying to call it the staff because I know they won't be too mad at me, but <laughs> insert your name in there. God is saying, move on, move on. On. You, you, don't, you don't have to pray about it. You don't have to, well, Lord, what should I do? No, move on. It's not your job to fight. It's not your job to fret. It's not your job to worry. It's your job is to move on, to move on from where you have been, from the habits and the hangups and the hurts that have kept, kept, you, kept you bondage. From all of those memories, from that stuff, stop talking about it. Stop rehearsing it. Stop repeating it. You're just opening up old scars over and over and over again. It's time for you to let the scab heal a little bit and move on. God wants you to move on. He's made a way for you to move on. And he's, he, says, he says, I will deliver you. Move on, he says. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea. Divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go on after them. And I will gain glory. <laughs> That's the end game. I will gain glory. I will be glorified in your life. But you have to move on. There's an interesting passage the psalmist writes about this, this event in Psalm 114. I'm getting ready to close, but I want, I want to read this because this is weird to me. I read this this week and I thought, what in the world? Psalm 114 talks about, says, when Israel came out of Egypt, Jacob, that's another word for Israel, from, they came out from a people of a foreign tongue. Judah became God's sanctuary and Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled. The sea looked 
in flesh. I wonder if, if one of the reasons why we don't move on is because we can't see what the sea can see. <laughs> That's a bit of a tongue twister. But I think one of the reasons we don't move on, the sea looked. The sea looked at what? The sea looked and fled. The Jordan turned back. The mountains leaped like rams. The hills like lambs. Why was it sea that you fled? What did you see? Why, Jordan, did you turn back? Verse 6 says, why, uh, why mountains did you leap like rams? Why hills like lambs? Verse 7 tells us the answer. Tremble earth at the presence of the Lord. <laughs> Interesting part of the story is, is, is after God uh, allowed the, 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 the Pharaoh to come and, and to get close to the Israelites, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord, which was in front of them in the form of a fire and a cloud, moved and came around and sat behind them, blocking Pharaoh, just kind of holding them off. But that's kind of what God does, isn't it? Like he leads you up to that thing you can't pass, and then he disappears. Like he, he, he goes around behind you. See, there was a cloud of, of smoke in a, that, was, that was resembling God, and it, it moved right around behind them and just hovered behind them so that they were faced looking just simply at a sea. No God, no smoke, no fire. And that's when God said, okay, so raise your staff, everybody. You're going to walk across. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> and I feel like when I'm talking to people about the cup of deliverance, that's kind of what I'm, who people I'm talking to. They're standing there saying, well, there's this, and then and there's that. And, and God was in front of me, leading me boldly out of Egypt. I was watching the cloud the whole time. And then when it got to be night, it turned into fire. It was awesome. But as soon as I got up to this obstacle, it disappeared, it went around. And, I, and, I, and, and, and for you, I just wanna say that if you could see what the sea sees, like if you could see from this, from this perspective, you would see, yeah, you're like you're up here, but you would also see that behind you and over you, is this pillar of cloud by day and this pillar of fire by night. What did the, the sea see? The sea saw the presence of God. And it wasn't just the wind that parted the waters. It wasn't just this miracle that God did. The miracle was his presence. The fact that God was still with them. The fact that God was still with them, even in the midst of their struggle, even in the midst of their compromise. I think one of the more difficult things for us to believe is not that, well, God could raise somebody from the dead because we celebrate that every year. The more difficult thing to believe is that God could reach me in my struggle and in my rebellion and in my sin and in my issues and even with old Pharaoh hanging around and even with this impassable sea in front of me that God is still with me yeah the sea saw it the sea saw the presence of God the sea could see it but you're going to have to take it by faith there's a couple things you have to do you have to move on you have to move on from your old way of thinking from your old way of relating you have to move through this new path that God's making for you so I would just like for us to pray for just a minute 
we bow our heads and close our eyes. And I think there are some folks here today who need to receive from the cup of deliverance, who need to move on with God, who need for God to open up for them this difficulty, this impassable, this impenetrable, this, this wall that's in front of them that has always stopped them. And that's why, they, that's why they've always gone back to captivity. That's why the enemy's always been able to catch up to them, because they've never made it through what God brought them to. They always stopped at it. But God is wanting to make a new way for you. If that's you today, would you raise your hand and say, I want to drink of the cup of deliverance. I want to start down that path. I will, I will move as much as I'm able. That's awesome. Yeah. I will make that step. I'll ask God to change who I am on the inside. You can put your hands down. Lord, we ask you to change who we are on the inside. It, it is how we think that gets us in trouble. It is how we reason with the snake that has got us into trouble. And so, Lord, we repent. We turn away from even, even entertaining the thoughts, even, even engaging in the conversation. We remove ourselves right now from this, this toxic conversation that we've been having with the snake in our own heads and in our own lives, Lord. We just, we just keep it going and going. We keep the wheel turning and keep the movie replaying and replaying. We we hit stop on that. We're going to move on from who we've been, for how we've reacted, for what's happened to us. We're going to let go, Lord, of the hurts of our past. And we don't know how to make it right. We don't know that those people will ever confess or repent to us or will ever. We're not even responsible for that. We are responsible for following you through this obstacle right here. And so we don't even need logic. We need Jesus. Even if we had the answers, <laughs> the answers are not salvation. The cup of deliverance doesn't come from answers. It doesn't come from a perfectly laid out plan or a good book to read that explains everything. The cup of deliverance is given to us by God. He said, I will free you. I will free you. Not your logic, not your reasoning, not your ways of thinking, not what makes sense to you, not a song on the radio. I will free you from being. I will change your being. So we rely on the presence of God today. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 That's awesome. I feel like God's doing some deep stuff in here today. Um, and a part of that is, is honestly joining with others as well. So I want to challenge you to join a small group today. We have tables out in the back. We have a special now three-week small group. And this week, they're going to dive deeper into this cup, the cup of deliverance. And so if you'd like to learn more about this cup, I encourage you to sign up. It's only for three weeks. Um, the people are relatively friendly. No, just kidding. They're, they're, they're the awesome small group leaders. And our group was awesome this week. We met with folks and talked about the first cup. Um, and uh, I learned a little something. It was good. It was really good, and it was encouraging. Um, we're getting ready to take up our regular tithes and offerings, and so we gotta we got to get out of here today. But if uh, ushers would come and just show themselves ready, um, we'll. Uh, this is for our regular um, members. If you're a regular attender of City Chapel, this is your time to give financially. If you're new, we're not looking for uh, you to give, but we would love your information. If you would drop that off in the bucket, let us reach out to you. Let us thank you um, for joining with us. Um, I'm thankful for everybody who's been giving uh, to this work. We started a little over two years ago, and we're still rolling, and God's still doing good things. And so thank you. If you're watching online, you can give online by clicking give. Um, several of you actually give online already, and uh, you come here in person, but you give online. So I thank you for that. But uh, 
Lord, it's a privilege to give to you. We're not giving to a person or an organization. We're giving to you. This is our joy to sacrifice for you, to give sacrificially, to pour out our love for you. Our hard-earned money, Lord, that represents so much of our time, our energies, our resources, our talents. This is an offering. This is our worship to you. We just lay it at your feet, and uh, we just ask you to bless it, multiply it, and do whatever you want to do with it. In Jesus' name, amen.